right, dudes, we're rolling. Let's do this thing. Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversation of Frontier Church where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. And today, we will be talking the election. We're we're recording this podcast Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., which might be the most turbulent moment of the election so far. So if we had recorded this yesterday, it would have been a different podcast. And I'm sure that if we recorded it tomorrow, it would be a different podcast. Our only goal in this podcast is to kind of lay ourselves bare as leaders in the church, how we're feeling, how we're processing, how we're hoping. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. I'm Cole. I'm one of the pastors at Frontier, and I'm here with... I'm Andrew. I'm also one of the pastors at Frontier. And I am Luke. I am a member at Frontier. So how the heck are you guys doing? How's it going? Riding the roller coaster, baby. (laughs) Surprisingly, this is one of the least anxiety-ridden elections that I have experienced. Are you serious? Yeah, dude, dude, I went to bed at 9.30 last night. You went to bed at 9.30? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Tracy, like, she woke up to feed Abel in the middle of the night. She said, what's it looking like? I was like, I don't know. I've not paid attention since I fell asleep at 9.30. Dude, I'm ready to shut this podcast off. (laughs) I feel ashamed. I'm on the other side, dude. This is literally the most stressed I've ever been in an election. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That's really interesting for me. Um, I don't know why my some of my political philosophies have shifted recently uh, oh, okay. in the past year. So, uh, yeah, so I think that's helped me not be, um, yeah, too anxious about what's going on in the world right now. Snowden, you've seen a few more election cycles than us. Yeah, has that given you perspective? <laughs> well, so last time, I was certain there was going to be a certain outcome, and had my expectations set for you know for basically for Trump to lose. And then was like shocked when he won. This time, not really sure what was going to happen, but had my hopes set in one direction. And it's just been kind of up and down. And that's the way it's been for most elections other than the last. The last one was just weird. Mm-hmm. But this one is more indicative of other elections. You know, I was around when George Bush had the whole hanging Chad thing in Florida in the early 2000s. And that, right, that was super contentious. And this this time period reminds me a lot of that, where it's kind of back and forth. Everything's riding on one or two states. And this time, rather than hanging Chads, we have all these mail-in ballots that we're waiting to hear mm-hmm. the results from. And I got a feeling it's going to end up being as messy, if not more messy, than that was then. So it's going to be interesting to say the least. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you, so, do you remember the church climate changing during that period of time? No, because the church wasn't really divided. I think the church was pretty much we love George Bush. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. And only those crazy people that liked Al Gore <laughs> were anyway interested. You know, but, I mean, the church, and, yeah, and not yeah. only that, there wasn't the strong cultural divide that there is now because mm. there's so much more at the time there was definitely animus between people on the right and the left but the degree of it is so much more heightened right now that no i don't think anybody was worried that people were going to become violent depending on the results of the election right where there's a lot of people expressing concerns that that is going to be the case would you guys would you guys express concern that that's going to be the case I think if Trump wins, there will be some people on the left who will definitely become violent. And I think it depends. There are definitely people on the right who I could see having the potential to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I hope not. I don't think I don't think it's I don't know. I hope not. But I see far more potential this year than in elections past. Feel the same way myself? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I remember I lived in Cedar Rapids at the time. I remember my, I remember that whole 2000 election being crazy. I remember my parents being, you know, watching the news. Fox News was on, you know, nonstop. Mm-hmm. Everybody's waking up every 30 minutes to check all that information. And that, but yeah, you're right. I think the church culture at that time was fully given themselves to the Republican Party. And I think what, one of the big 
switches was at least that I experienced was um, during the first uh, Obama election. I remember there being a, a little bit of a divide between uh, Christians voting Republican or voting Democrat yeah. during that season. I think a lot of the war that was going on, uh, a lot of Christians mm. who were more on the pacifist side were tired of the, the the war that was, you know, the two wars that we were fighting and, you know, not ending. And that so that was a really interesting shift that you well, had. Well, a lot of Christians excited to for the potential of some racial reconciliation yeah. with having a black That's another good president. point. There were a lot, mm-hmm. I know a lot of Christians that voted for Obama just because he was black and uh-huh. because he was and he promoted the hope of, you know, uniting people. And a lot of people were really excited about that. Yeah. And I think with the with the advent of social media coming around, you know, with these with yeah. in, the, in the 2008 election when people started to really adapt social media and internet culture, um it just becomes easier for people to harden their own positions and get stuck in an echo chamber and then lob grenades the other side online without any, you know, felt repercussions. And we just see that so explicitly right now yeah. um, where whatever the outcome of this election is going to be, there's going to be a temptation for people in our local church and in local churches all across America to fight one another and yeah. to judge one another for voting a certain way based on who gets elected and who doesn't get elected. Yeah. 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 Do you think people of Frontier are going to fight? I think there's going to be a temptation. Yeah. Um, there'll probably be some careless remarks on social media, maybe, but I don't. Sure. You know, and all this being with the COVIDs, with, you know, the pandemic has already got people on edge, and now you've got this uh, contentious election. And, you know, so I had a tr- I met with a church member on uh, Monday for lunch, and he, he asked, What is the political makeup of Frontier? What would you guess it would be? And I was like, We're pretty, pretty diverse as far as. Uh, political philosophies in our church we've got. I think we are. Yeah. We've got anarcho-capitalists in our church. We've got very progressive liberal people in our church. Um, we've got, you know, your, your traditional Republicans, your traditional Democrats in our church. And so, which is why we've, you know, our pulpit has remained not apolitical, but we want to point people to Jesus and his office yeah. of king rather than, to, you know, a, a, a king in America that changes every four years or every eight years. Um, so I was like, yeah, man, it's, it's interesting. Cause I look at my grandpa's church in East Tennessee and he probably can tell you exactly how every church member is going to vote in his church. Just based on the culture. I think it's health that our churches is this divorce. Yeah. Divorce. Yeah. I think I so too. Well. Right. It also poses unique challenges yeah. in these difficult times because we could have people that, are either unaware or unappreciative of the diversity that exists in mm-hmm. our church and unnecessarily offend one another. And yeah. So, yeah, I think we need to be really careful. Yeah. It's forced us, um, whenever we approach topics that are in the Bible that are politically contentious, so um, abortion, sexuality, gender, marriage, it's caused us to approach it more pastorally rather than politically. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. When we look at a text, yeah, we're man. not thinking, how would, this is the Republican stance or this is the Democrat stance. We look at it and we say, this is the, the Bible stance. And so some of you are not in line with the scriptures. So we want to pastor you and help you to live out the ethics of, of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Can how- you, can you guys think of any reasons why frontier church members wouldn't fight? They love each other and know yeah. each other. Yeah. Called love, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we've been driving that home for like really hard the past two years of how to, how to conduct yourself on social media, how to conduct yourself when it, yeah. when it comes to politics. We've done you know several pol- uh, podcasts on when it comes to politics and engaging in conversation with one another. Um, so hopefully the work that we've done together as a church over the past two years, whenever the campaign started up again, um, hopefully that's seasoned our church's um, thoughts and, and speech patterns um, for one another. And not only that, there's a distinct politic of the kingdom and of of the gospel, because the gospel is inherently political, mm-hmm. calling us to worship uh, a, a king that's not part of our American government, and it calls us to an ethic and a political theory that is completely different than our capitalist democratic republic that we have. Mm-hmm. And so... I think the way we can be challenged to love one another in this time is to unite on the politic of the scripture rather than unite on the particular outworkings of the politics that happen in in our country. And we just have to order our priorities right in our heart regarding that. Mm -hmm. And we've laid so much gospel, like so much gospel foundation over these last four years that 
Um, I agree with you. Like, I think that people at Frontier Church will feel the temptation to fight one another. And yet at the same point in time, I can't imagine people at Frontier fighting one another over this. Yeah. And I, I also realize as a lead pastor, I have a romantic view of our church. Like often when I'm on the interstate and I see all these cars in front of me slow down, immediately I think, oh, there's, there's a cop up there for sure. <laughs> and I think, oh, police officers must have a skewed view of how safely people drive around them. In a lot of ways, I'm like, is the lead pastor like that? Or is being a pastor like that where everybody slows down around you and they behave really well and they don't bicker and quarrel? And so I like knowing what I know about our church members based on the behaviors that I see and the doctrines that I see them subscribe to, I'm like, I think we're going to be good throughout this season. I think we're going to be healthy. Yeah. But I could be skewed in uh, my vision. Yeah. I mean, we've had some squabbles online. Like there was one time where we had some... In the 2016 election, we had a couple of church members, you know, just going back and forth on on Facebook. And so I said, hey, how about we talk about this together? I'll moderate, I'll facilitate the conversation, come over to my house, and we can hash these things out. And one of, one of the members said, I'd just get too angry. I was like, you're already angry. <laughs> 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 Let's do this face-to-face. You'd you know? have to be angry face-to-face. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to be hunting down people on their social stuff. I see anybody <laughs> bickering with one another. That's good. I'm coming after you. I as love leader, it, dude. I, yeah. As a church member, I think it's healthy for us to be held accountable to the way in which we conduct ourselves in that social sphere. And I think that's good. I mean, I hope the church would at large welcome that kind of accountability to be called out and say, Hey, let's get together and sit down and have coffee yeah. together. <laughs> that's it's countercultural. It, yeah. Like it, yeah. We are, we are subverting the culture of the kingdom of the world. That's right. By living in line with the way that God has called his people to live. Yeah. Like it's so countercultural, especially in this day and age where conversation is very uh, hard to find sometimes uh, and you have to, um, yeah, pry it out of people instead of just giving talking points that they've meditated on for 15 minutes and then hit send on whatever social media platform mm-hmm. they're they're using. How'd you guys spend yesterday? Self, I mean, I got to riff a little bit off your post because it was so <laughs> good, dude. So I have to know, how'd you guys spend election day? Anything different or was it just mostly life as normal? I was doing everything I could to distract myself from not looking at the TV. Well, I'm not looking at the TV, but not look at the coverage of the election. Yeah, so my yeah. goal when I woke up in the morning was don't look at the coverage until 10 p.m. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. That was my goal. And, and, I, and I followed and it. I you followed, did? Yeah. I mean, I saw snippets, you know, whenever I scrolled through That's Facebook, awesome. I'd, see, I'd see a result or something. And I, and I did everything I could to just avoid it. And so we watched... The Voice, when Brenda got home from work, we watched The Voice for a little bit together until we saw Nick Powell on on the uh, Facebook Live playing his little git fiddle. That makes so me we- want to watch The Voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I miss that dude. Uh, I miss, I do too. I miss his, uh, I do too. I miss his voice. I miss the... Anyway, I love his songwriting. So we yeah, ate dinner. Yeah, we ate dinner while we listened to Nick. <laughs> Nick. And then after That's we awesome. went to bed, about, about 10.30, we went ahead and put on the, the election results and watch what was going on here in Iowa anyway. We didn't pay so much attention to the to the uh, national general election. So, so that's helpful for me to process my own anxious response because maybe the reason why I was so anxious last night is because Chloe wasn't around. She she had Porterbrook last night from 7 till... She stayed late with the girls last okay. night until like 10.30 p.m. And so I put the kids down at like eight and then it was just me and I cleaned a little bit and then it was just me dude you're on the roller coaster dude I had no wife to buckle me in last night and so I was just like I'm so ashamed I was just like election result refresh 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 I couldn't believe it like I've I've never had an election cycle like this what do you think is at the bottom of your anxiety in it well, I was, I was praying and journaling about it today. And the honest answer is, is I don't know. Like, to be honest, I've never I've never experienced anxiety about a, an election cycle like this is before. Is it just you're wanting your candidate to win and you're just nervous they're not going to win? I, I think it's that I think I have deeper allegiances to a presidential candidate than I had tricked myself into believing. Oh, yeah. Does I that tot- make sense? I totally feel yeah. that and get that. I, Me too. I, I think I've been telling myself for the last six months that I'm cool as a cucumber uh-huh. and I'm all about King Jesus, which you should be like that, but but I'm all about King Jesus and like whatever happens, happens, bro. And as I've been telling myself that at the surface, I haven't been bringing deeper things into prayer. Uh-huh. I've been avoiding them and neglecting them. And I think maybe... 
in the basement of my soul, there has been an allegiance to a particular candidate that's been growing and growing and growing. Mm-hmm. And what that's revealed last night and this morning is, oh, you've kind of ignored that and pretended like it's lesser than it actually was. <laughs> yeah, I think. Does that, that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it totally does. It's, I've, it's surprised me. It it's surprised happened me. to me. I realized that last night as I went to bed, I had to flip on a, uh, a YouTube video, a fishing video, which I usually use to call my soul. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Dance. No, no, no. Oh, those are good ones, dude. Ben Milliken. Ben Milliken fishing. Anyway, he's in Omaha. Anyway, the point is, I I was so worked up by the time we shut off the TV that I couldn't just fall asleep. I had to calm myself, and I realized, oh, yeah. I'm way more committed to the dude I voted for right. than what I realized I was. And that was disappointing. Yeah, and I'm not, like, itching my palms over here. Yeah. I'm just surprised by my, my resting heart rate. Yeah. Exactly. I, I guess it's kind of where, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, cause I was thinking back on the last pod- podcast that we did with Nick talking about politics and you were like, I am the least political one here, right. blah, 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 which was really interesting. And I, my, my views have definitely changed to where I don't really have a vested interest in either party. So I think that's why I'm the least anxious this go around. Cause I, mm-hmm. the, the, the person that I voted for in 2016 that, that I caucused for, and then I I did a write-in in 2016, um, but I still was anxious based on the outcomes of the election because of things that I did, didn't want to see happen in our culture, things that I wanted to see happen that I was afraid that wouldn't come to fruition. So with this, this go-around, yeah, I was able to go to bed at 9.30 and wake up this morning and look at the news and find it... Uh, not amusing, but interesting to keep up in touch. Whereas the last go around, I was, I was like, oh man, what's going to happen to our country? How are things going to shake out? What's going to go on? Hmm. Hmm. I did great in the afternoon yesterday because I was coaching wrestling. <laughs> so I couldn't look at my phone. Yeah. Just sweating out the demons in the, <laughs> in the wrestling room, man. Showing some technique. That was great. I, I left the wrestling room feeling great. I was like, I'm going to cruise into the night. Then I put the kids to bed. Chloe was gone. Left in your own cave. To my own devices. It's not good that man be alone. <laughs> For real. It's even worse that Cole be alone. That's right. I just made a nice meal that took longer preparation than uh, would normally take for a Tuesday night. So What'd you make? Made a nice roast with some carrots and potatoes and rolls. Yeah, Not- that was part of my strategy too. Yeah. Get an involved meal. Yeah, on. nothing fancy, but you know, I had to peel potatoes and peel carrots and chop them up and then make sure my roast got in the crock pot at the right time and mm. make sure my that it was soaking in all the juices it needed to be. Dang. So yeah, yesterday was that was the only like difference Should yesterday. Should have been doing that to my heart. <laughs> crock pot, soaking in all the juices. Have there been any scripture passages that have been helpful for you guys as you've been processing this? Oh yeah. Yeah, the one the one that I found really helpful is and this came from Porterbrook. I'm doing Porterbrook right now. Okay. And they just made a great note um about the connection between the promise of land in the Old Testament uh-huh. and Jesus expanding that promise to the earth. Yeah. And so there's there's an intentional expansion on Jesus's behalf in the New Testament from the promise of a particular geog- geographical land to the entire earth. Yeah. So like the promise of inheriting new creation has been really helpful to me. Like I have not been promised that I'll, I'll be able to inherit America. Yeah. You know, as much as I want the kingdom of God here, right here, right now. But that promise that like, I'm going to inherit new creation because of the work of Jesus on my behalf has for whatever reason been great for me to meditate on. That's huge, man. Yeah. There's no elections in the new creation. For real, dude. Uh, Psalm 146 for me has been one that I, I I like in general. It's a good one to meditate on. But this one, I was as I was driving here this morning, I was just thinking about this one. Um, you know, it's it's about God's sovereign reign that will you know it's unending. So the psalmist says, "Do not place trust in princes and a son of humankind with whom there is no deliverance. His breath departs, his spirit returns to his plot. On that day, his plans perish." Blessed is the one whose help is from the God of Jacob, whose hope is in Yahweh as his God, who made heaven and earth and the sea 
and that all that's in them, the one who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. Yahweh sets prisoners free. Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. Yahweh raises up the bowed down. Yahweh loves the righteous. Yahweh protects the strangers. He helps up the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked he thwarts. Yahweh will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, throughout all generations. Praise Yahweh. Mm. Uh, That's yeah. a huge one for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I found any scripture on Mount Zion to be really helpful Dude. during this time because yeah. Zion, Old Testament and New Testament is is the is the mountain that God is always pictured as enthroned upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is there one for you? Yeah, the Titus three is has been really helpful for me. Um, Titus three uh, verse one, but understand this: that in the last days there will be there, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, uh, heartless, unpleasable, slanderous. I can see why this is so encouraging for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. My phone, my fingers are fat. I I, I was like, this doesn't sound right. It was 2 Timothy. Timothy. I was like, that doesn't sound like Titus. That doesn't sound right. What am I doing? That's where we were going with this, but cool. Titus 3, not 2 Timothy 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. We were ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness of our loving uh, and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteous unrighteous in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the gospel here empowers us to face the turmoil that we're facing the you know the the unrest of our time in a way that expresses love toward one another so we you know we're going to be tempted because of all of the change and the different philosophies of different rulers and authorities and as christians because of the gospel we can not speak evil of each other mm-hmm. we can yeah not we can avoid quarreling because of our love our common love for christ and just finding our unity in the gospel pulls us together despite our diverse opinions to submit to whoever's there and to love one another in the process i so anyway, i've just been challenged by that to it's a good mixture of uh of scriptures there for you. you've got the hope of new creation and what that brings and how that impacts the here and now. You've got the reminder that that God is in control, that princes will will pass away, but Yahweh doesn't. And then you've got this is how you conduct yourself in the middle of chaos and turmoil yeah. and disagreements and quarrels. Like this is how you do the live your life as a follower of Jesus. So those are three yeah. We didn't even plan that out, but I think it was a good good mixture of things for, for our church to meditate on. So here's a question. If you guys don't have an answer to this, it's totally cool. Um, but who'd you vote for? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're not going to go. Um, my question is this though. And if you don't have an answer to it, like that's totally cool. But in the last week in relationship to the political sphere, has there been anything in your head, heart, or that's come out of your mouth that you've had to repent for? And I only say that because I do have an example, but I want to hear from, from you guys. Not in relationship to the election. I don't think. Not in the relationship to the current political season. Okay. Um, my kids, uh, I'm, I think I'm comfortable saying this publicly. I don't think it's betraying any trust with anybody. My kids are caught in between a home that is more liberal and a home that is more conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they go to their mom's house. It's a little bit more liberal. They've got a Biden sign out in front of their house. Our house, even though I'm not going to say who I voted for, tends to lean more conservative. And so they're kind of caught in between. And I feel bad for my kids because That's tough. they yeah, feel like man. they're caught between two different philosophies and their parents are going to be voting for someone very different. And, um, and so I know there are times when I don't, when I don't, when I want to try to convince my kids to agree with me rather than rather than just love them mm-hmm. right and so i know that there are sometimes i say things that are probably unhelpful 
in that mm-hmm. circumstance. But I can't think of one off the top of my head. But I know that there yeah. are times when we've talked where I've said something with the intention to try to, um, almost like in it to compete mm-hmm. for their to compete for their mind and their attention. Sure, and that's, that yeah. just that just confuses the kids. Yeah, and it's unhelpful. That's difficult to, them. to navigate. It is, yeah. I don't. I have no clue if I'm doing it right or not. I'm guessing, but I'm <laughs> doing my best. So, and, and I know the best way to do that is not to compete for their attention, but to just to love them and to you know, okay. yeah, you know, explain to them why I think what I think and encourage them mm-hmm. to consider it. But, um, but yeah, to love them through that. That's that, that's just the challenge I face in my own circumstance yeah gosh i would imagine there's a lot of pressure there for your kids man like i know i feel bad for them for them it's not do i vote for um biden or trump they they probably whether or not they articulate it this way but they probably sense deep down like do i vote for mom or dad right i think yeah and i've really tried to hammer into them that wherever they land politically has no effect on my love for them and my approval. Oh, dude. I, I try to make that explicit. Mm. Right? Dude, that's awesome. Um, I say it all the time. But um, but nonetheless, that doesn't always come through in the words I choose to use and the way in which I debate or discuss things with them. Huh. You know what, dude? Like, Russell's only three and Della's only one. So it, it doesn't surprise me that I've never thought this. But I've never even thought of having in my back pocket the comment, Hey, no matter who you vote for, I love you. I've never even thought of that being in my back pocket. Like, I've always thought of like, hey, no matter what you do, I still love you. Like, hey, no matter what mistakes you make, I, I'll still love you. But I've never even thought of having to have that. I've never even thought of having to have that conversation with the kids. Yeah, and and was, I will. I'll have to. It was really weird because this year Nathan got to vote for the first time. And I knew Nathan was going to vote the way I voted. And so I was really enthusiastic. You know, I got on and I made sure he was registered to vote, made sure he knew where to go, (laughs) was excited. And then when I found out that he voted, was celebrating with him. And I thought, man, I got, I got to, I got to make sure that that transfers over to all of my kids, whether or not. Oh, dude. That's a, that's, that's just a, that's just going to be something that I'm going to have to really watch my heart over. And because my daughter turns yeah. 18 next year, and I'm pretty sure she will not vote the way I vote. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dude, you're melting my face right now. That's really helpful to hear. That's really helpful to hear. Yeah, my example of repentance also has to do with my kids. Um, I'll, so I'm fairly uh, anarchistic with my political beliefs. I don't mean, don't the way that the media uses that, makes you think that all it means like you're just breaking you know windows and storefronts and looting you got a skateboard that you want to break yeah i'm gonna hit somebody's yeah yeah i'm carrying a padlock on a handkerchief i'm gonna bust somebody in the face but that's not what that word actually means (laughs) that dude um easy that's my role here (laughs) so so that's why i think this has been i haven't been anxious about this election because on my cynical days, I think the voting's an illusion. Uh, but I, so I still voted. Uh, but I, every time I'd get, you know, one of these candidates' uh, flyers in the mail, like incessantly every day, like three or four pieces of paper with somebody's face on it, I'd just be like, oh, these stinking politicians. And I'd put them in the trash. And so my, but my kids now started to regurgitate that oh, to yeah. where Lydia, whenever I go to on the front porch to check the mail, she's like, any more of those stinking politicians, Dad? Whoa. And uh, <clears throat> so yesterday, whenever we went to vote, like I was, uh, I, I went first in the morning uh, to vote, and then Tracy, she went to vote later in the afternoon, but I told Lydia, like, where I was going to go, and she's like, well, it's voting. And I was like, well, you know, it's, we choose, in air quotes, we choose who we want to, you know, govern the country and the state and our county. And she's like, I thought we didn't like politicians in our house. <laughs> and so, I, you know, just my uh, ramblings and rantings. Uh, I, w- yesterday when I heard her say that, I was like, I, I want you to, like, believe what I believe politically, but I don't want you to disrespect politicians. I don't want you to disrespect institutions. Yeah. And, yeah, and I'm very, yeah. very prone to do that. Like, I shared an example before of... Um, whenever I disrespected President Clinton, whenever he had a surgery, because my house, my household was very Republican. My dad was in the, in the military. Um, and I said something offhand of like, Oh, good. Maybe that this one will get him. And my dad just looks at me and is like, we don't disrespect the president. Mm. Um, 
So, huh. but I've seen that I'm forming that in my kids, and I kind of there's a sick part of my heart that likes it. Aren't kids at, they're like mirrors? Oh aren't man, they? yeah, wow. yeah. And so, yeah, so that was yeah, fresh off the press thing. I needed to repent of. <laughs> I was like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> I'm just surprised by what comes out of my mouth sometimes. Like, I feel like I'm usually pretty emotionally disciplined. But earlier this week, and this is the thing that I needed to repent of, earlier this week, I, this comment actually came out of my mouth. And I was like, what? Who am I? I, I told Chloe that it's not so much that I want a particular presidential candidate to win. It's that I want to see a particular party lose and whine about it. Yes. And yeah. when that came out of my mouth... I was like, whoa, I really need to repent of that. Like there is some part of me that doesn't believe what Paul says when he says, no, like if one member is honored, all are honored. And if one is shamed, then all experience Mm. shame. That that togetherness knit that that the gospel gives everybody in the church, that that like wasn't there in my heart. And I was like, "I, I actually like seeing people lose. Yeah, And that was really ugly for me. Mm. And I've noticed that's been a tendency all of my life, like I think it has for everybody. But there's this part of me that likes to see other people lose. It's like that clip when Obama, when um, when Hillary lost last time of that liberal student screaming out into, into <laughs> right. the stock out. Everyone loves that. That impulse right. is so universal. Like, oh yeah, satisfying. See the pain in that person. Yeah, that feels good. <laughs> Makes a good meme. <laughs> it does. That's what that well that meme celebrates that notion. Yeah, it does. I had a couple friends in high school, um, in college on follow me on Twitter. <laughs> Cause when when I was a sophomore, I tweeted um I tweeted well, the Hawkeyes lost today, but it's still a good day because the Cyclones lost too. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and it's kind of like that, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. I've noticed that there's this pattern in my life, like, um, there's this pattern in my life where I wanted the Vikings to lose or I wanted a particular sports team to lose. And now that I'm grown up, it's not so much that I've repented of that and mortified that sin, it's that it's taken a different shape. Yeah. And I, I want it out of me. Mm. And I was surprised to just hear that come out of my mouth. Well the, well, the great thing that the gospel does is it is it deconstructs the sort of tribalism that tends to emerge in politically divisive mm-hmm. times. There's a there's a sort of loose, jocular tribalism that rises in sports, but we know mm-hmm. that it, we don't we don't it's it's loose. It's not well among some among right some yeah <laughs> among most <laughs> we qualify hope. this <laughs> among most. But when it comes to politics, because it, it reaches so deep into our personal lives and our you know, our presuppositions about the way the, you know, the way the world is constructed and what's best for human flourishing, the tribalism that emerges there, it requires something as powerful as the gospel to break through so that we don't actually enjoy one another's loss Mm -hmm. and one another's shame. We actually Mm. can weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. It requires something like the gospel to break through to allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is how you get the social makeup of the average early church. Yeah. Like, I don't know I don't know where I read this. I think one scholar said that in, there are outliers to this, but in general, within the first 100 years of Christianity, the average church in Rome would have been composed of about 30 total people in a house, probably like 15 Jewish people, a handful of Gentiles, a couple slaves, a couple slave owners, and maybe even some Romans from government. Yes. Whoa. Like, can you imagine going through a cycle like this with a church like that? And yeah, I guess like that kind of brings it back to what we were talking about earlier in the conversation where I do feel like our church has a makeup that's similar to that, like a 2020 makeup of that. Yeah, which is why I think it's it's amazing. Because when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul basically in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uses the concept or the value of diversity as the means to unite the church in its division. And so the the existence of diversity is not a threat to the church and it shouldn't be perceived as a threat. It should it should be seen as the strength of the gospel. Yes. And the evidence of the effectiveness and the truth of the gospel mm-hmm. in the life of the church. Yeah, and I think that's what you know I I just want to drive home the identity of the Christian. The identity is not political affiliation. Yeah. Like that's something that's tertiary. 
like care about politics, vote, do all your, you know, be, be civic minded. Um, but your primary identity is a follower of Jesus. And that can transcend, that tr- does transcend race, class, background, where you live, who you vote for, what football team you watch, what food you eat. That if that if you are mindful of making that your primary identity, because that's what Scripture says your primary identity is is a son of God, so that mean or a daughter of God, so that that means that you are brothers and sisters. That's your identity. Everything else is different. We're all sons and daughters, brothers and sisters through adoption, and so if we keep that in our on the forefront of our minds, then we can have political conversations and not hate one another at the end of them. Yeah. Right, but if you walk into a conversation or a social media post or your newsfeed with Republican lens or Democrat lens or anarchist lens, then you're just going to see everyone in in that way rather than a human being, rather than a follower of Jesus. Um, and so that's what's so beautiful about the gospel. But, that we yeah, just said yeah. Minarchianism is inherently superior to anarchianism. If you want to go there. <laughs> If you so, want to believe that. If you guys want to have this conversation, <laughs> I can step out. It's totally cool. <laughs> but like, self, I think you used the magic word in the last thing you said, which is conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if you do have legitimate conversation with somebody politically, you will love them, or at least you'll be able to respect them and honor them. What The, the thing is, is that most of the political conversation isn't actually conversation. It's what you said it was, which is bickering on social media, which mm, isn't yeah. conversation. Conversation right. is me saying the wrong thing and watching your eyebrows go up yeah. making me rethink oh you you know what maybe i did phrase that wrong uh-huh. or me saying the wrong thing snowden and seeing you wince yeah and thinking ooh, that wasn't an ugly thing that came out of my mouth there's, when you don't get to see that you say careless things mm-hmm. yeah. and there's amazing wonderful theological reasons why that's the case oh this is why god didn't just give us a bible yeah. That's why God sent the person of Jesus mm-hmm. into the world. Right. Um, God created us as embodied creatures for a reason. And we cannot have genuine love. We cannot have genuine community. We can't have a functional government or a functional society apart from embodiedness. And when we only interact or primarily interact through mediums of technology, we basically imply the that the incarnation is unnecessary mm, it's disembodied communication disembodied communication and that's we Which were not f- created for a that. functional rejection of the incarnation and it, it it's always going to eliminate necessary components of communication that allow us to love one mm-hmm. another <laughs> social media is shale <laughs> this is feeding my james k a smith <laughs> craving wow this is great i love this conversation yeah which technology is great. That's not a slam against technology. It's just to say it's in an insufficient medium of love. And that's what Christians are called to do is to love God and love one another. And so if we're going to disagree politically and do it lovingly, that means it has to happen in person. Mm-hmm. It cannot. The, the, the Internet is an insufficient place to allow that to happen. And the sad thing is, is that you have people who want to see that bickering and they do everything they can to encourage it. Like you've got this technocracy that wants um, wants you to fight with your church member, that wants you to fight with your mom and dad on social media, that prioritizes that and yeah. and rewards that. It's financially valuable to it is. for that. Yeah. yeah. And so you you have to yeah walk into those things and be like, this is not a good medium, which is why I just tried to subvert the political news feed the other day when I just posted a goofy list of things to do to not make the election day. <laughs> Sorry, you said technocracy. <laughs> For those of you who are like me and you needed to Google it. Technocracy. It's the government or control of society by an elite of technical experts. That's a great word. Have you guys seen The Social Dilemma? No, it's, I've heard it's I phenomenal. need to start watching it. Though. I think that's a, something that Christians should watch. And, it, and to me, the whole thing, it just screams of the whole need for embodied conversation. Mm-hmm. And it should... I think for the church, it's really important to see how Christians are being manipulated by the world mm-hmm. and drawn into controversy and drawn into mm-hmm. the snares of the devil yeah. that cause us to, to um, experience division and, and, and exacerbate division uh-huh. in the church. 
I mean, yeah. if you if you look at the some of the most influential movements in human history, a lot of them came out of people meeting in pubs or meeting around the breakfast table or the dinner table or mm-hmm. in a coffee shop or in a bookstore. Like they, they got together and created beautiful literature. They got together and created political and philosophical frameworks. They got together to start revolutions. They got together to start um, mission movements and church planning movements. It, it, it needed human interaction, face-to-face interaction. Mm, mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, the power. Like, if you look at Jesus's ministry, like, how many of the meaningful sto- stories and meaningful uh, portions of the Gospels where Jesus shows himself to be the truer and better Moses or the truer and better Adam, um, it, it's centered around food, and it's always in person. Yeah. It's centered <laughs> around, uh, you know, cultural and social situations. Mm-hmm. Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I'm going to break bread with you. The road to Emmaus, Jesus um, breaks bread and reveals that he is Jesus to to two disciples. Um, <clears throat> there's a book called uh, Eating Your Way Through Luke, and it's about Jesus and his ministry on earth and how it's centered around a lot of meals mm-hmm. um, and food as illustrations of his messianic power. So I violated my own principle with this this last week, and God is so good to help me <laughs> re- recover my integrity with it, but... I got a grade on a paper. I mean, it was just such a simple paper. I got an F, and I've not gotten an F. And you any, got an F, dude. I got an F on a paper, and I, and it wasn't just the F. It was the way I'm not gonna. I don't want to because it's been put to rest. But uh, there was a comment that the instructor made who graded the paper that was I found offensive, and it really, I mean, it ticked me off, and so. I violated my principle of sit on it and then communicate with them. But in the moment at 1030 at night, I'm, you know, keyboard warrioring <laughs> my instructor and I let him have it. And, um, my instructor on Monday, he didn't write me back. He called me and I didn't want to talk to him. So I let it ring oh. and I avoided Ice. the human interaction and then i had i spent and then i realized what i was doing i realized oh what this human interaction is doing right now is it's forcing me to deal with him as a human Mm -hmm. and not as just words on a screen that i can objectify and dehumanize Mm -hmm. Hmm. and and that was the reason i was avoiding him so i had to spend some time getting my heart right and realizing oh that was wrong for me to take the tone I did with him in a moment of anger, despite how wrong he was. And anyway, I'm trying to, my point is, is that we were able to make peace mm-hmm. because if you probably would have, if he would have written me back, it probably would have devolved. <laughs> but three phone calls later, everything's resolved. All is well, happy as pie. He apologized to me. I apologized to him and we, we were able to move forward. But it just it just goes to show that even you know outside of the realm of politics, like you know, it's so easy to dehumanize somebody when you don't see their face mm-hmm. and you don't hear their voice, mm-hmm. you don't hear the sincerity of their tone, you don't hear the, um, you know, you uh, impute a exclamation point or derogatory tone in an otherwise benign sentence. That's what you you know. That, when you talk to a human, you have to deal with the human reality. You don't get to impute to them mm-hmm. the motives and intentions that you conjure up in your own mind so that you can defeat hmm. an enemy. And it's anyway, it was just, it's a it was great just showing me how this last week, like I, I, we all experienced this, but it, it was yeah. just really helpful. And I appreciate how he handled it. He didn't write me back. He was like, no, we're going to deal with this like humans. Wow. What a great example. Yeah. Um, and also I'm just curious, do you still get an F? No, so oh, you talked your way out of it, you devil! No, no, I didn't. I didn't. He failed to tell me at the beginning of the course. This is part of his apology to me. Oh, okay. He failed to communicate with me that the grades that we received are just an opportunity for us to grow, and he wanted us to communicate with him and um, rewrite our paper based on his on his um, feedback. 
Oh, and then okay. We could gotcha. Get an opportunity to, to improve our grade. So but every the, first draft is a D or an F with him. Is that kind of the thing? I think basically. Yeah, yeah. He wants to and see so, rewriting. But he and, didn't communicate yeah. that, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to dig out of this hole. And like, like, anyway, it's, it's a long story. But well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was, I've seen your so writing, bad. Luke. I've seen your writing, and I'm used to grading sophomores in English, but but still. It's a material, so <laughs> so you getting an F is like it's just been a surprising podcast so far. Yeah, for me, I, I guess just giving more surprises to people. Surprised by a podcast. <laughs> okay, self. I'm gonna read your post. I wrote it down because I thought it was great. You referenced it a little bit earlier by saying "silly." I thought it was awesome, though. You said. And this was two days ago. If you think this coming Tuesday is going to be the most stressful day of your life, here are some of my suggestions for mitigating stress on Tuesday. Number one, cook an excellent dinner and share it with your family or friends. Number two, put your electronic devices on do not disturb. Number three, don't let the news or vote count dictate your attention. Mm. Number four, reflect on what is true, beautiful, and good. Number five. If you're a Christian, spend time in scripture and prayer. Number six, if you have kids, tell them about some of your favorite childhood memories. That's so good. Number seven, organize your kitchen cabinets. Eh. Number eight, (laughs) call a family member or a friend you haven't talked to in a while. Number nine, if you're lonely and you think the election is going to make your loneliness worse, invite a friend over or video chat a family member. Number 10, create a plan to be a better neighbor for the rest of the year and in 2021. That's awesome. Number 11, clean your ceiling fan blades. I promise they're dirty. It's true. I should have done that. I didn't I, I didn't do that because I said if you're stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> Number 12, listen to your favorite album before you go to bed. Number 13, if you're a Christian, remember that Christ is your king and his rule and reign doesn't change every four years. Number 14, Watch some funny videos on YouTube and laugh. Uh, Dude, I love that list. Can we do like a Wednesday version of it? Like given the way things are going on Wednesday, what what are some final notes or thoughts on hope that are kind of concrete strategies for the next rest of the day or the rest of the week or however long this takes? The rest of the year. (laughs) Rest of the rest of the year. What do you guys think? One thing I wanted to put on that list was evaluate how your life has changed throughout the various presidencies that you've been alive for. Because um, I was, as I was starting to reflect on that, I was like, okay, how much has my life changed? That's a direct result as to who is president. Now, that can be a very, that's very subjective, and I, I kind of mean it that way. But objectively, um, there are some ways that you can say nothing has changed in my life. I'm still a follower of Jesus. I'm still married to my spouse. I still have my kids. I'm still a member of a church. I still have neighbors. I st- like, just look at your life and, and see that your life, um, it can be changed, right? So if we got, you know, the Antichrist running for president and he gets elected and he starts murdering the church, that's a pretty significant change. But mm-hmm. your tax rate going up or your tax rate going down, like that's something that it does affect you. Like my dad lost his job as a result of policies in the Obama administration and from the recession that a lot of politicians caused. Hmm. Um, so like that was a big way. So that was like the only way that I've seen like that directly Im- impacted the trajectory of my life. But I can still see that I'm in ministry now and I'm uh, married to Tracy and I have three kids now uh, because of that change. I probably would be, I, my goal was to work in a music venue and to own a music venue. But because of the recession, I wasn't able to get into the college that I wanted to get into. Um, but just evaluate that. That's why I love Psalm 146 is because it talks about princes, they're going to they're gonna die. It's, mm-hmm. it, their thoughts and their policies and their rulership, it's going to go into the ground. Um, so that, that's one thing. Just today as you are you know, hoping that your candidate um, wins, just think about how the, it's going to end in four years or it's going to end in eight years if, if uh, Biden gets elected and reelected. It's going to come to an end. And yes, things may like net a loss or they may net a uh, gain in the end of their, of their terms. But just, just think about how life is constantly changing and how you can hold fast to the steadfastness of God and how you, you can live your life no matter who's in office. That's a good word, dude. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people, which, by the way, that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. That being said, 
there's a lot, I've heard a lot of Christians and seen a lot of, um, you know, articles, podcasts and all that quoting Romans chapter 13, God chooses who's going to be the president, um, who's going to be the leader in the world. Um, and that all is in God's hands. And in my, in my life for the last 10 years, the biggest struggle for me has been not accepting the fact that God rules and reigns and not accepting the fact that God chooses, you know, to rule providentially over my life individually or nationally, but struggling to accept and to have faith that he's good mm-hmm. no matter what he deems come to pass. Uh, that, you know, I went through a divorce in 2011, 12 and experiencing that tempted me for the better part of a year to think that God was horrible for his choice to allow that to happen to me. And I think Christians, whether consciously or not, part of the anxiety is, is God going to be good? Mm -hmm. Is God going to be good to us? And part of the frustration and the anger that um, comes along with disappointment in a political process is maybe God really wasn't good to us. And I think just being reminded that God can be good even if thing, horrible things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that just because horrible things happen or disappointment in an election happens, God is still good. And it's the best possible of all scenarios for what is happening to happen. It's all part of God's perfect plan for the direction of this country and the direction of redemptive history. Mm-hmm. And accepting that is far more difficult than being able to draw up the theological proposition that that is true. I, I'm really good at drawing up theological propositions regarding the sovereignty <laughs> of God. Mm-hmm. But my heart receiving that as a good and glorious thing that draws me to worship God is a whole other story. Mm-hmm. And that's something that God has been beating into my head for the better part of a decade. Mm. And I'm very slow to learn it because I don't want to accept it. I want to yeah. think that God's providential rule is going to fit within my perception of, of and my requirement of immediate gratification. <laughs> you know, mm, so yeah. Um, and so I think as Christians, it challenges us to just okay. Well, if my candidate doesn't win, God is still good, and this is this, and because of that, this is good. Mm-hmm. Whoever wins, it's good. And whether or not we see it or not, it's it's the best circumstance that there could possibly be. And that's really hard to reconcile. For me, it's really hard to reconcile. Yeah. I struggle with it like crazy. But to be challenged with it, I think, is is healthy and good for us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. One that I would also add to the list is remember what God has promised you in Christ. So I haven't seen anybody from Frontier Church post anything like this. But I have seen a couple posts where people said, if blank loses this election, I have no faith in God. Um, and so I think it's helpful for people to realize that you're in an event like that, you're basing your faith in God on the basis of something he never promised to deliver you. Yeah. So especially in moments of turmoil like this and in moments of turbulence, it might be helpful to like get a blank sheet of paper out and list out the actual things that God has promised to you in Jesus, mm-hmm. right? God has yeah. not promised that if you believe in Jesus, politics will go swimmingly, your candidate will win and so forth. What he has promised you is that if your faith is in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven, his righteousness will be provided, Satan will be overthrown, and you will inherit the new creation. So clinging to what he has promised you rather than choosing to follow him or reject him on the basis of what he hasn't promised you, I think is so key for people. And I don't know if this is public or not, so you might want to edit the podcast. <laughs> um, but And we're back. <laughs> going into the new year, I think we're going to be doing the Habakkuk series. Yes. Yep. I mean. It's fairly timely. That's extremely timely. <laughs> Habakkuk is all about the chosen people of Israel and God choosing to use a pagan nation to destroy them. And 
yet he still loves them and cares for them. Mm-hmm. And Habakkuk struggling deeply with that, mm-hmm. the tension that's there. How could God be determining to do this to us in this moment and yet there still be hope? Yep. And yet wow. the gospel still be true. So I think I think that's going to be really... Uh, read Habakkuk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't Habakkuk. wait, dude. What a beautiful book. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I've also just been thinking about... Um, you know, God bringing His people out of out of Egypt, reconstituting uh, His relationship with them, uh, giving them the law, them being in this covenantal relationship with one another, where God has one people for Himself that He's going to use to bring all the nations back under His um, fold um, as their God. And you know, time goes by, and they start to see hey, these other people got some kings. We would like to have one of those. And God's like, I am your king. But you know they keep saying we want a king, we want it. So God gives them a king, and that first king didn't turn out too good for them. Um, and heartbreak after heartbreak, every king, every king they would get, something would go terribly wrong, um, <clears throat> because they had they wanted an earthly king more than they wanted their heavenly king. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've just been yeah. thinking about that. Of like, there is no such thing as a perfect president. No such thing. They can, you know, manifest nine out of ten of your uh, political ideals, and then drop the ball on number ten. Right? Yeah, they're going to disappoint you, no matter what your um, ideology is. They're going to have some sort of a moral failure that's going to come up. They're not going to fulfill their promises. They're not going to do everything the way that you want them to do. And so, just thinking about how that's not God's ideal. God's ideal for our lives is not government. That's not because He wants us to realize Him as as uh, our king. Um, but he steps into, the, but he uses what humans have, have done and constructed for his, for the glorification of himself and for the joy of his people. And so just think about how, how the government is not, the, you know, a democratic republic is not God's ideal for human flourishing. Capitalism, socialism, communism is not God's ideal for human flourishing. You can look and pick and choose different things and how they're can help more flourishing or less flourishing, but that's not God's ideal. That's not his economical structure. It's for us to realize him as king, as Lord. So when we say Jesus is Lord, that's a political statement of mm-hmm. us saying, this is who determines my destiny. This is who my allegiance and loyalty uh, is with. Um, so yeah, just that's something, you know, that's easy for me to say because of my political views. Um, but just, yeah, just think about it. This is not God's ideal for me. God's ideal is not for me to go to a voting booth. That's not his ideal for me. He's using it for mm-hmm. my flourishing, but it's not his ideal for my flourishing. Um, so that's that's been helpful for me of like going in, when I went to the voting booth, I just thought about this is not how God constructed the world to have yeah. all these intermediaries of governing my life. That's that's not his ideal. He's using it at that right now, but yeah. I can fill in whatever bubble behind beside whoever's name and I can rest in that God has my ultimate good out mm-hmm. for me, whether it's man, whether it's you know here and now, but it's also in the life to come. Yeah, let me expand on that a little bit because I think that's a really good point. Because one of the things I wrote down as a concrete next step for some people would be to, to join a join a local church. Mm-hmm. If if this if this cycle if this season of government frustrates you, join a local church. Be as passionate about the local form of government as you are the nationwide government. Mm-hmm. And the most local form of government is the government of the New Testament church. And if you're a believer, the beautiful thing about being involved with that is that you actually have a voice. Mm-hmm. And like I, I like democracy. I think it's the best of all the flawed um, systems that we have. So I like it. Um, but way more than I like the ability to check a box, if you're a part of a local church, you actually get a voice. Like if you're unhappy with the local church, you can sit down with the leader, one of the leaders, and have a conversation with them mm-hmm. and be heard and be known. I mean, no matter how this election goes, if you're unhappy with the way America gets run in six months, you're not going to be able to sit down with Joe. Like, you're yeah. not going to be able to sit down with Donald and have a conversation. And quite frankly, like, none of the, neither of those guys, like, Joe is not going to bring you a meal the next time you have a kid, right? Like, Donald's not going to be able to... Hold your child really quickly if you have to have to run out and do a chore. You know what I'm saying? So like the most local form of being involved with government where you really have a voice is a local church. You get to sit down and talk about what's going on and ask questions and have a voice. I realize the majority of the people listening to this podcast are already members at Frontier, but I know that there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are not in, in Des Moines and aren't a part of Frontier. And if that's you, join a local church. 
Yeah. Yeah. Make a difference. If you're a Christian, you're an ambassador for the King of Heaven, and the church is an embassy, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's the where we come out from. It's where we remind ourselves of the of the orders of the Kingdom of Heaven. It's where we go out and engage the onlooking world with this is the ethics of Jesus. This is the message of Jesus, and we yeah we operate out of that. It's where we know, and it's where we are known in the in the context of the local church family. You guys, got anything else? I have one thing. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that's been really helpful for me is, and it'd probably be helpful to actually write this out, actually, um, is to identify where, um, identify what hopes and dreams politically I have. Obviously, I'm not, not for me as a politician, but I mean, that could manifest in our country, are a result of an overrealized eschatology as opposed to a realistic biblical hope. Mm-hmm. Um, when I use the word, that's a $10 phrase, right? Overrealized eschatology, meaning um, an overrealized eschatology is the assumption that the benefits of that come apart, come as a part of Jesus' second return will be experienced now as opposed to when he returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a problem that led to much of the division and problems in the in the Corinthian church, which is why the Corinthians were so divided. And I think this can happen a lot with evangelical Christians as we look at our the, a lot of the motivations that we have. Like, well, if we could just get another person on the Supreme Court, we could end abortion and all will be well with America. Not that it's bad to desire the end of abortion, but when we set our hope on that, we end up toying with having an overrealized eschatology, and that can lead us to unnecessary division. Yep. So I think that we could, we it'd be good to write out what our hopes are mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what we're yeah. and in order to evaluate whether or not those hopes and fears are more the result of an overrealized eschatology, or whether or not they're actually realistic. Mm-hmm and moderate our emotional investment into the issue in light of those things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's good. I'm going to do that. You guys got anything else? I mean, if you're going to read the news for goodness sake, don't just read one source, read, read several sources of news that you agree with already. And then ones that you think you're going to do disagree with. That's just good for knowledge in general, but Mm -hmm. don't get stuck in an echo chamber. That will make you divisive as well. There is one good source I like that kind of gives you both is The the Hill. I don't know if you guys Yeah, The Hill is helpful. Yeah, The Hill. You got a Democrat and Republican Mm -hmm. going at it, but they're respectfully and and kindly. So, yeah, there's some good news aggregate websites that you can look at that post various links. But just, yeah, that's just helpful in every area of life. But that's something that's been helpful for me not to, because I've got neighbors that are extremely different than I am politically, mm-hmm. like extremely liberal and extremely progressive. And last night I was chanting some, I'm not a Trump fan, but I was chanting <laughs> four more years and all sorts of Trump slogans just to get them riled up last night. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when I read things that they are reading, it helps me talk with them more. It helps me understand their thought processes. Yeah. So yeah. That's just a little practical tidbit. I know we've kind of beat this drum, but I think the last thing that I'd probably leave our church with is to meditate on the enthronement of Jesus, right? We've, we've spoken a lot in this podcast about remembering and knowing the fact that Jesus is King. And I've read a lot of great reminders and a lot of great articles this week about remembering that Jesus is King. Uh, Jared Wilson said, quote, let us all remember that our hope is not ultimately who is in the White House, but who is on the throne of heaven. I think that's really great advice. Um, I, I think it opens up an entire relationship that you see throughout the scriptures that is pretty brilliant. Like there's there's a relationship between there's a relationship between how um, how Israel is doing politically and how often they reference that God is king. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't go down when things are going badly for them politically. Mm-hmm. Like they remind one another of the enthronement of their God. Mm-hmm. But what I think I would suggest in addition to remembering the enthronement of Jesus as king would be to like actually set aside time today to meditate on the enthronement of Jesus. I think Hebrews does this the best. I think any, I mean, just go on and go 
just Google Zion and you can read everything about Zion from Old Testament to New Testament. My favorite though comes from Hebrews because it's so visual and you can see it and walk into the picture and live there. Uh, The writer of Hebrews says, after he describes Mount Sinai, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels and festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So like, get that into the marrow of your bones. Like this, this mountain where Jesus is king, this mountain has a party of angelic beings and these angelic beings probably have like those foam fingers, you know, and chest paint with your name on it. They're psyched that you're here. The spirits of the deceased faithful are like family members who are like at the airport security with signs that say, welcome home, right? People are made whole and happy and perfect in this government. They're singing and dancing and partying. There are no rumors of voter fraud and there is no voter fraud there are no polls or changing statistics everybody's happy about the government and the best thing is that jesus is there on his Mm -hmm. throne i just find that to be such a palpable picture to get into your heart yeah revelation 21 and 22 also another good one to meditate on it's yeah so so much image imagery the the river of the water of life the tree of life whose leaves heal the nations Mm. we're all restored in new creation where Jesus is seen on his throne. And you can really all. engage with both of these pictures. Yes. Like, engage with it yeah. until you see yourself there. What are you doing? Are you running up Mount Zion? Because mm-hmm. you can do that on like Mount Sinai, which you can't touch. Yeah. Are you running up that mountain? Are you sprinting up mm-hmm. that mountain? Are you doing backflips? Are, are you giving high fives to angels? Like, get there. Yeah, and in uh, Revelation 20 with, 21 with the picture of the new heavens and the new earth it says and in there there will be no sea mm-hmm. oh the imagery of the sea all throughout revelation the beast coming out of it yeah the symbol of chaos and we live in a chaotic time mm-hmm. and when jesus is on his throne and the new heaven and new earth are coming out of heaven there's no none of this chaos nope. is there there's peace oh. and people are there's no like rising like antipathy toward the king or distrust of the Mm -hmm. king people are really at peace and comfortable and rejoicing that jesus is king and everyone is there's no divide no tectonic plates shifting underneath your feet no no. well maybe i don't know well maybe yeah you get it right i'm saying stable ground is what i'm saying stable ground there's firm ground and it's not to say that there's no lakes rivers or sea in the new heavens and new earth it's that there's no chaos Mm -hmm. right and to be apart from that and to set our hope on that, oh my gosh, what a time that'll be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I like that. I want to end right there. Yeah. Sound good, fellas? Sounds yeah. good. Cool. Hey, Frontier Church, we love you guys. We hope that this pastoral conversation was helpful. Um, I find it helpful to know that in unpredictable, difficult times like this, that even Luke Snowden can get an F on a paper. Mm. And that just brings me a lot of comfort, I guess. All so, things are possible. Church, we love you, and we hope, we hope that this podcast helps you worship local. <laughs>